This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Secaucus by The Wrens. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Manichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, my intrepid co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay. Tim, what does intrepid Ex- mean? I don't know. I hear <laughs> You hear that all the time, describe people, and I don't know what it means. When they, when they you know, like, newscasters... I remember Dodge had a car called the Intrepid. And I think oh, there's, there's a boat called the Intrepid. Yeah, there was that Dodge Intrepid. I'm, I'm guessing you mean sturdy or uh, experienced, something along those lines. Reliable. Reliable, yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd be a good thing to name your car, the Intrepid, because then it's built right into the name. That's right. You know, you know who else are Intrepid, Jay? Who? The Wrens. Wow. Is that true? Well, <laughs> are we going to find out in their history? I guess we're going to find out. Before we get into reviewing the Wrens and their album Secaucus, were you familiar with the Wrens before approaching this album? Nope, was not. I also was not familiar. And Although, that may I offend heard- some people. Yeah, they were, well, yeah. We might get the reaction of, how could you host a podcast about the 90s if you'd never heard of the Wrens? Well, I had heard of them. Sorry. They were a band that were, yeah, I mean, they were a band that just sort of like, I heard of them, but I wasn't ever really interested enough to go check them out. So it wasn't that I was ignorant. It was just that I was arrogant, (laughs) which is totally different. (laughs) You know what? I was in the same boat. Okay. So I think I got them confused with some other bands, too. I always got them mixed up with Mercury Rev. Hmm. I think because I'm probably wrong because we haven't gotten to Mercury Rev yet, but I think Mercury Rev is from the same area, maybe New York or New Jersey. Oh, no. I, I don't. Think, I think they're British, aren't they? Are they? I don't know. See, I, again. Something else we should probably know. We should know that. We're losing credibility by the, by the seconds. But if you think we're losing credibility, the whole point of this podcast was also to educate ourselves on stuff that we missed. You know what? That's a great so, point. That's something that... Uh, Let's take a, a quick opportunity to, to to explain that. We are in no way saying that we are experts on anything. We're saying we're people who are oh. interested and have a passion for this and thought it might be interesting if people came on the journey with us as we dug up some of these bands that we hadn't heard before. Um, in some cases, one of us has, has heard the albums and likes them, but almost never... I don't think we haven't picked a, an album yet where we're both like really big fans of it. Maybe Failure was the closest. Well, the Cult album. Okay. I, I was more familiar with their other albums. Okay. You know, like like obviously Electric and Love and Sonic Temple. Yeah. But I was somewhat familiar with that record because you were such a big fan of it, and I remember listening to it a lot uh, back when we were recording our album. Right. Uh, must have been either the second or first first or second album for Stepford Five. Long story yeah. short, I was just going to say that we're not we're not going to pick a lot of those albums, and we're certainly probably not going to pick the ones that we're both just head over heels in love with, uh, because 
frankly, I think that would be boring for us to sit here and say, aren't we so smart? We love this album and nobody ever heard of it. And now we're going to tell you why we loved it so much. Right. Um, so this, this is supposed to be about discovery, I think for both of us and for people listening. So that would be the definition of being an asshole. (laughs) And we're not above that. Just not in this circumstance. Right. So let's get into the Wrens and let's get into the history of the Wrens. History of the band. The Wrens formed in New Jersey in the late 80s, originally named Low, but eventually changed their name because there was already a band called Low. And they were from different areas, but eventually they settled in the city of Secaucus. The lineup for the Wrens was and is Charles Bissell, Greg Whalen, Kevin Whalen, and Jerry McDonald, although they're credited not necessarily by those names in their records. For example, Charles Bissell will sometimes go as Charles Mexico. In 1993, they released a 7-inch and signed to Grass Records. Their first full-length album came out the following year called Silver in 1994, also on Grass Records. And Secaucus, which we're reviewing, came out in 1996 on Grass Records. Now, there's an interesting story behind Secaucus, and I I basically just copied this off the Wren's website because I wanted to quote it exactly because it's an interesting story. So Grass Records is bought by Alan Meltzer, and this is where the Wren's website comes into play, and I'm quoting here. Halfway to their first tour supporting Secaucus, the Wrens are told that if they do not sign their new fairly high-dollar recording contract, all promotion for Secaucus will stop. The Wrens, frowning upon strong-arm tactics, do not resign, and as promised, all promotion, including support for pending tour of Europe with Brainiac, is pulled. Hmm. The head of the company, infuriated, commences layoffs of involved record company personnel and vows that, quote, the next band to walk through the door will be made famous at any cost, any, end quote. The next, the next band through the door is Creed. Grass Records becomes wind-up records. Creed's becomes famous at any cost. <laughs> what? No way. That's Yep. How... That's why I read it verbatim. Oh, my God. How is that story not bigger? I don't know, but that's the story. That's insane. Uh, so they did not put out an album until 2003, and that was The Meadowlands. It was released on Absolutely Kosher Records, and they have not put out another album since, although they have been recording for several years. The band all lives in the same house, and they all have regular day jobs. So they only record and play out on rare occasion. Basically, from 96 to 2003, you've got seven years there. And then 2003 to possibly 2012, you've got nine years there. So this is an album that is not using the Creedence Clearwater Revival uh, strategy of releasing three albums a year. (laughs) Well, nobody does that anymore. No, except for maybe um, Bob Pollard and and Guided by Voices and whatever, (laughs) you know, various uh, side project that he's working on at the time. There really is nobody who does that. So that is the history of the Wrens. So what is this album on Spotify called Silver then? Came out in 2006 according to Spotify. That is the original album that was released in 1994. Both of these albums were re-released by, I guess it would be Wind Up. 
So Silver's first, then Secaucus, and then the Meadowlands. Correct? Yes. Okay. Correct. That's one downside to Spotify is when the re-release happens, the dates are all screwed up. So when you go back to try to discover a band like this, it's really confusing to get the chronological order right of the albums. Right. And I don't know that they did anything special for those re-releases. I think they just basically re-released the album. I don't think there were any bonus material or anything like that. Um, did you notice anything? No, no. There's the same okay. amount of tracks and it's tough to tell if the master you know if the mastering is different or anything like that it's it's pretty subtle so i did mention guided by voices when we were talking about releasing a lot of albums but i think that's a good sort of reference point because this is a 19 song album mm. and there are a lot of short songs interspersed with a couple of you know four and five minute long songs and in the same way that bob pollard with 90s Guided by Voices albums like Alien Lanes and B-1000 would release 20 and 22 song albums with a couple of, you know, 30 second songs and then three minute songs and four minute songs. There's sort of a, if you don't like the song, don't worry, it's going to end soon. You can move on to the next one vibe to this record. Uh, did you, was that something that you liked or was that something that bothered you? And what was your sort of overall appeal or uh, opinion of the Rensu Caucus. No, I love that format. Uh, you know, I think we've we've talked quite a bit over the course of the last year with some of these albums that we reviewed that have a lot of tracks, and that that's only part of the problem. The other problem is usually the songs are way too long. So I don't mind a lot of tracks as long as you can edit yourself in terms of the songs. You know, there is some stuff on here that's complete filler. You know, it's just silly noise or barely a song um, right it's it's placed strategically so that it becomes a, a little bit of a break um, which is fine so overall I mean I think that that format I was fine in this instance uh, I didn't actually got it by voices hadn't occurred to me I, I guess that makes sense now that you're saying it I heard a ton of bands which usually for me that's that's pretty good sign that I that I'm going to like the album. Um, you know, sometimes you could say that's a bad thing when you hear a lot of different influences, but I wasn't just hearing influences. I was actually hearing maybe bands that they had influenced or contemporaries or just, mm-hmm. just commonalities in terms of good songwriting and good melodies and, and being, I think, just quality um, pop indie rock. So I think that's where the commonalities came. So, you know, I was constantly, as I'm listening to this album little parts and pieces and sounds are just sparking all of these other uh, references to me. I mean, there's almost too many to even, to even list. It's like every song I would have two or three, which is kind of incredible. It's a really, it's a really interesting album. What are your thoughts on it? The first four songs are like a blast of energy. I love the way that this record opens. It opens with yellow number three, which is under two minutes. It had like this, and you were mentioning it, you, there's a lot of bands that this sounds like. This sounded like a cross between Jawbox and Archers of Low. Like it was just in that vein of like crazy guitar stuff going on and 
high energy, just frantic rhythm stuff going on. And then it goes into built-in girls, which is a little bit more mid-tempo, but it's just super poppy. It has a great guitar solo. It starts out noisy and then gets more melodic. And it kind of reminded me of the early Built to Spill stuff, like before they got more jammy and were writing 11-minute long songs. Yeah. But more like the stuff on uh, that has, you know, like songs like Big Dipper and, and um, those early albums. Surprise Honeycomb, again, has another big chorus. It's got a cool intro where the guitars like build, are picking and then it like builds up. Mm-hmm. And then you get to Rest Your Head, which I think might be my favorite rock song on the record. I have two two favorites, but of the rock songs on the record, it's got an awesome guitar intro that kind of reminded me overall of like Sloan. Yep. Is this what I was... Okay, you heard that yeah, too. I wrote down Sloan a couple times in the song. And then they they bring it down. And the, the, I don't think the rest of the record ever matches that, those, the energy of those first four songs, but I'm okay with that. Uh, they do a really good job of making the slower songs individual and interesting, which a lot of bands don't. They, they'll make their they'll, slow songs will just be an acoustic guitar and a guy singing. Yeah. You know, or it'll just be like droniness and it, it doesn't. But they do a really good job of from song to song and there, some of them are experimental like probably the most epic of them, all the slow songs is Jane Fakes a Hug yeah, which starts out and it's kind of you know it's just kind of a slow song and you're not really there's nothing really impressive for like the first two minutes of the song and then this like weird guitar noise I think comes in at like 220 mm-hmm. and then the drums come in at like three minutes and then 30 seconds later it ex- like the song explodes and it becomes epic sounding it almost becomes like a like one of those like weird beach boys songs yeah. with like melodies and yeah i wrote down, that i wrote down the beach boys too they they do uh they well they parody or come close to doing a beach boy type vocal thing which is <laughs> it's it's pretty uh it's pretty different and pretty interesting for i think the, the style of music and Again, this band's just coming from all these different angles. It's it's kind of amazing. It sounds like a band that, like, you know, these are guys who live together and record together and have been together since the late 80s. And it sounds like a band that they are willing to tackle anything and incorporate it into their sort of world. Yeah. You know, which is very much in the built to spill Pixies pavement Arches of Loaf, that sort of realm of indie rock, but add these like weird uh, flourishes in songs. Indy 500 has that like ragtime <laughs> piano, yeah, and it's, yeah. it sounds like a really messed up Ben Folds 5 song. Yeah, that song is brilliant. I mean, it it's, a, it's not like anything I've ever heard. 
Uh, I mean, the, the pieces, if you pull the pieces apart, you know, they seem familiar. But when you put, I've never heard them put together in that way. It's just crazy. No, it's, it is. It's, that's the best word. It's crazy. Like, you're <laughs> listening to this, like, how are they pulling this off? Yeah. How are they pulling off? It would, it's like Ben Folds is, is playing with Stephen Malkmus and Pavement or something like that. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Probably my second favorite song or tied for first is Trek 12, I've Made Enough Friends. Yeah, I love that song. It's That's probably my favorite song on the album. It's got great lyrics. I don't know if you actually read the lyrics to any of the songs, but they're pretty interesting. There's a lot of themes that they tackle mm-hmm. um, from song to song. But essentially, uh, what I love about I Made Enough Friends is, and I wish I had heard this song when I, when it actually came out, because it probably would have been my anthem. This is basically the concept that you know you're getting somewhere with a girl, and you get to the point where you're like, "Is this going to go somewhere, or are we just going to be friends?" And it's a simple idea, but as a twenty-something-year-old in college, I can't tell you how many times that would have been <laughs> that that, that would have been Aww. my anthem. Yeah, I can say that now as a, as a married man. I'm, o- I'm over all that but what's are, so cool are about you this, really yes well i'm sure i have some issues that my therapist would probably want to talk to me about to get them worked out it's got a great chorus it's got harmonies going on there are i think there's bells being played in parts of the song yeah i mean it's just it's just a gorgeous gorgeous song it's a it, it's a good example on this album for me of maybe some references that it sounds like maybe didn't occur to you. Uh, when I listen to that song right away, I think of like early '80s, like alt pop or like Minute Work, like or really jo- or Joe Jackson, like the way he's singing, like his vo- vocal like uh, tone and how he's phrasing things. I, it sounds exactly to me like like the way that the guy from Minute Work or one of those bands would sing, and that's what kind of was throwing me um, and. I thought was one of the most unique and sort of special things about this album. It's unlike what I think a lot of their contemporaries may have done. It, it is like them in the way maybe the guitars are approached and maybe even like the production uh, and the style of, of how the songs are put together. Because in, in that regard, I think I kept thinking of like Spoon, the early mm-hmm. Spoon stuff. Um you know, the way that everything's kind of orchestrated and textured and layered and there's unconventional instruments. And... Just you talk. Seek his tongue, and I'm wrestling back. 
getting these like early 80s kind of alt pop you know college rock mostly from the vocals and the vocal melodies and even kind of the, the tone of the lyrics and stuff that really made it made it really different uh, for me than from from anything i would expect from like 1996 there's some weird um vocals or, or lyrical stuff going on that i, I want to address I, I mentioned earlier but there's a lot of references to marriage um Obviously, there's a song "Hats Off to Marriage, Baby," but then in the song before that, track eight, "Still Complaining," there's mentions of marriage, and then there's mentions. There's a song "I Married Sonia," which I don't necessarily think it has a, as direct a reference. Obviously, writing about relationships is fairly routine in rock, but indie rock approaching stuff like that, and especially. There are some songs where they're almost like they have like an R and B nature to the lyrics. It's very odd, you know. I, I mentioned I made enough friends. The, the lyrics like that, if you were to read it, you could put that to the music of like a D'Angelo song. There's like lyrics like, "It's hours later and we're not much further. We've made it to bed. Your shirt's around my head, hands full of your hair. I can't stop kissing. I'm linking your lips, my hands on your hips," and I'm like. This is an indie rock band, and they're like <laughs> writing about hips and right, lips. Right, right. Uh, the only person I've ever heard get away with that sort of writing is Tim Kasher from Co- from Cursive. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna bring them up because, yeah, that's off to Marriage Baby. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Their song titles are so weird. Um, <laughs> that song sounds like two bands to me, and exactly like two bands to me. It sounds like later Cursive or mid okay. Cursive. Even that song title sounds like a a mid to late era cursive song title. Yeah, lyrically it sounds like cursive. Like I, I totally agree with what you're you're saying. It also sounds like a band called The Living End, which is an Austra- Australian. They kind of do like punk, but with a swing kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that song has a kind of a swing feel to it. There's a couple songs like that. Yeah, but. I swear to God, if you'd have told me that that was either a li- an old Living End song off of one of their first albums or maybe a B-side cursive song, I would have believed either of those. Which is, you know, two pretty different bands. I mean, Living End tours with Green Bay, you know? and Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, cursive's cursive. So that it's kind of remarkable that they can, at least in my head, I'm like thinking wow, that sounds exactly like this band. And at the same time, I'm thinking, but wait, it sounds a lot like this band too. But at the end of the day, it it sounds like them, which is, I think, says a lot. If you have a consistent vocalist who's has a unique delivery, you can. I think you can get away with playing around with the musical style underneath because mm-hmm. that will tie it together. Uh, and at times they, you know, some of the stuff doesn't work as well. There's one particular song that actually annoyed me, which is track 16, Destruction Slash Dawn. <laughs> yeah, which dumb. I found out is actually two songs, yep. one in each channel. Yep. 
did you listen to each song by itself? No, I didn't. If you take your head, if you listen to the headphones and you take obviously take one ear off, you can hear the each song independently, which I did today, <laughs> and it, which is even more frustrating because independently each song is actually really good or at least a a good basis for a song particularly the one in your right ear it sounds uh like a almost paul mccartney-esque why they decided to put them together into one song i have no idea And that kind of makes me mad. <laughs> I guess it was kind of a fun experiment to try, but it's, you know, it's the kind of thing that you listen to one time and you may go back like I did the second time and want to listen to each song individually, but you're not going to listen to that over and over again, unless you're nuts, which I'm sure some people might. But because it's just, it's too, it's literally two songs. Maybe, you know, right. obviously they're in the same key and maybe they share a similar chord progression, but it's two different songs. Now, you mentioned like early 80s alt pop and Joe Jackson and as, as reference points for some of the stuff. Mm-hmm. I actually, in terms of his vocal, the one thing I, I kept hearing that kind of reminded me uh, or that he kind of reminded me of was um, Tim Dow from Shiner and the life and times hmm. just because both of them have, I wouldn't say they're, they're not distinct, but they're not especially uh, over the top with their vocal. They're powerful, but not, you know, yeah, there's, uh, there's not a, lot, a ton of range there either, but right. That's fine. And I also noticed that on a lot of the songs there aren't, it doesn't sound like there's any like effect on the vocal. Like there's no reverb. And they're very up in the mix and and sort of dry. Yeah. And I kind of found that little, not off-putting, but it was a little odd from the, time to time. The mix overall is very strange. The main vocal, well, actually all the vocals are very separated from the rest of the music. Like, yeah. the rest of the music has, by rest of the music, I mean the bass, probably the primary guitar and the drums have a little bit of a room sound to them. And then they, when they overdub the vocals, like they purposely made them completely dry. They're completely separate. They're way up front, and sometimes they're panned. But it creates a really strange, a really strange mix. I and mean, at times it's 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 kind of cool, and other times it is kind of distracting. They also layer in a, a lot of percussion, which again helps a ton. They layer in a lot of different instruments. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's lots of lots of stuff going on. But from that song stuff song. is all overdub, sort of like it has some reverb on it. It's obviously not mixed with the other music. It's still a little separated. It's just it's a very strange. I, I think if there's one critique I would have of the album overall, it would rely more in the production than it would in the in the songwriting or or, or even the performances. Um, it is very it's very different. It's not that it's it. I don't think it's going to ruin the... It doesn't ever ruin the album for me, but it doesn't allow me to maybe take it up. You know, my appreciation for it just kind of hits a 
it's a peak. I can't get past it because the production is so distracting at times. Yeah, I, I had I kind of felt the same way. For the songs that were, you know, we mentioned Destruction Dawn. There are other some sort of, I guess you would say, experimental songs. Um, track 18, I'll Mind You. There's like the there's there's actually words for that song, but I couldn't make them out when I was listening to yeah, it. Yeah, um, it's mostly just nothing. It's like a minute yeah. of noise and hushed whispering. Track 13, Luxury. Again, the, the music was interesting, but the vocals are distorted, and I found it hard. It was hard to make it. I had to actually go to the website and read the lyrics to see what he was saying. Um, some of those things didn't necessarily work for me I, you know in the context of an album I, I understand like one or two of those maybe yeah but um you know it's a 19 track album but it's only 54 minutes which is not that bad yeah in terms of you know running time and, and i actually would like to i didn't get a chance to but i would like to put this on in the car and hear it f- full blast of the car because that's been a good um uh, determinant for uh, how hard something rocks and I, I get the feeling like I'll probably pick like the 10 best songs off this and put them in the heavy rotation Yeah, on the old iPhone because there's a lot of stuff on here that's I, I would under, I would imagine that somebody who was probably tackling this for the first time might get a little <laughs> uh, intimidated by the fact there's 19 songs so if you can cut it down to like the 10 best it might be a good introduction which leads me into if you were going to like you know, introduce this to somebody. What would be your? Would you? Uh, would you say here's the album, or would you say here's five songs from this record? You should check it out. They're awesome. Oh, I think you have to give them the whole record because listening to to your um, listening to you kind of get into the record and talk about it. You talked about tracks one through three a lot. I like those tracks. I thought they were good, but they weren't my favorites. I was really into the, I was really into the middle of the record, honestly. Um, which it sounds like you were you didn't dislike it, but you were more into the beginning. And I think this is this is the band again, throw out Spoon again, where they have different colors to them and even across albums, but even within us within a particular album, they just shift a little bit here and there. but it's enough that they almost can sound like different bands. Mm-hmm. within the same album which I really like but I think you have to listen to the whole record to kind of get it I think if you just listen to one song from them you may be under the wrong impression I think you have to listen I, I think you really do have to listen to the whole thing I might go ahead and say hey uh, <laughs> you can skip you know these three or four track which are essentially you know filler or album tracks but uh, the ones that are songs I think you'd really want to let somebody listen to all of them and kind of figure out which which parts and which moments they like the best okay fair enough you so who's this no 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 I I, I, I see your point uh, so who's this for like if who's who's oh. going to be intro, in, into this because I think you know we mentioned the Pixies and Built to Spill are bigger bands in terms of indie rock mm-hmm. more people know the Pixies more people know Built to Spill I get the feeling if you're into Archers of Loaf, you probably have heard the Wrens. If you're into, you know, maybe Jawbox, maybe, yeah, or or Sloan. But is there anything more mainstream that you would say if you liked it that band, you should check out the Wrens because they haven't put anything out 
<laughs> in a long time. Um, well, obviously, I've said Spoon a billion times, and they sort of got right fairly popular. So there might be some people that are into them, but not really ever gone back to find other bands like them, or even listen to their early material. Another band that came up that's probably a little bit more popular would have been Ted Leo. That's what I was thinking of the first like two or three songs on the album. In my notes for the for the actually the first two, I wrote Ted Leo down. Interesting. The energy that you were picking up on—that's kind of where I was. The energy combined with uh, um, sort of '60s pop rock, you know, kind of melodies that are going on. You know, who influenced and the high high energy um, and the rawness was uh, was making me think of Ted Leo for those songs. So if I think if you're into him, probably wouldn't be this wouldn't be too far off. It's a little bit more experimental, I think, but. Um, you know, if you're into dissonant things, you, I think you'd like this too. So, you know, we just recently reviewed at the drive-in and actually a lot of the guitar stuff that these guys are doing remind me a lot of what at the drive-in does in terms of, there's just really odd combination of, of guitar, guitar textures and, and chords that walk this strange line of being melodic, sometimes very melodic. But then also, there's always a dissonance to it. Like, it's just a little bit strange all the time. Whether it's just chords up against each other. You know, there's a lot of, like, crazy, screechy, bendy lead stuff um, going on. Yeah, yeah. That we talked about on At The Drive-In. Mm-hmm. So just from a, from a guitar standpoint, and just kind of an angular, <laughs> a weird, a weird uh, angular dissonant kind of take, if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, you'd probably want to check this band out because, you know, they do it, but then they throw this. Usually there's just a great uh, melody through the whole thing that makes it work for me. It's funny that you mentioned Ted Leo, just going back to that for a second, because I've always thought of Ted Leo as the modern-day Joe Jackson. So yeah. that's that's a good one. I, I, when I, I didn't mention the song, but Dance the Midwest, I actually wrote down Super Drag next to yeah, that song. Yeah, yep. I wrote that down too. That's kind of got a a little bit of a dancey kind of vibe to it mm-hmm. <laughs> with the drum beat and, and the bass line and, and and there's a they use a lot of tambourine we've talked about this before tambourine how, good how effective tambourine can be tambourine can be and they yes. use it a lot on this record and a lot of interesting a lot of interesting ways Get out, make it over, die, 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 die,
the song where I think it comes right in on the verse and the intro. It's got tambourine mixed in with a pretty straightforward kind of danceable drum beat. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought it, I thought of super uh, super grass also. I mean, it's just it's crazy. Like we're throwing all these bands out. All these these bands couldn't be more different. Right. Yeah. Yet, yet they all sound good together. You know, in the context of this this record, it's it's a it's a. I mean, it's nineteen songs, so that helps. But it's a pretty expansive record in terms of the sounds that they're tackling. So it makes sense that we would be all over the place in terms of the bands that we're mentioning that they sound like. It, it's kind of crazy to me that that it's that it's even a band like this is the kind of thing that you you know for the most part at least especially the early stuff spoon is one guy so i kind of get you know doing some recording you've done some recording you can kind of get how he how he gets to some of his songs those spoon records you know just through Mm -hmm. multi-tracking experimenting and you stumble on cool combinations of stuff and you kind of build on it they're doing that but they're doing it as a band you know multiple people working together either i don't i don't know if they recorded this as they as they wrote it or if they actually write all this stuff as a band in a room and then they record it that way it's really hard to tell it almost sounds like you know the recording is the way it's recorded it almost makes it sound like it, it was written as they were doing it you know or at least there was maybe a very basic idea and then they kind of layer things on top I, it's it's a very it's a very strange approach for a to hear a, um, a very strange result for a band to have have come together and done. It seems more like a solo kind of experimental solo kind of thing. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but that's a good point that you make because it definitely has a feel of like batches of songs maybe were done at particular times because they don't all line up in the exact same you know uh, sonic. Uh, result you know some songs have a little bit different of a of a vocal sound than other songs mm-hmm. where it, you know if you go to a studio you unless you are purposely affecting a song in a certain way we're trying to evoke something out of a certain song you're pretty much going for a consistent sound out of the drums and out of the bass and the guitar and and vocals so that you have a consistent album where that's not the way that this is and you know they might have been looking to you know bands like guided by voices i don't know i don't know if they even were aware of them but you listen to a guided by voices album in the early 90s or late or mid 90s there's an inconsistency from song to song because those songs were not recorded at the same time there was a hundred songs recorded and they picked you know 20 of them and put them on a record and if they all sounded the same great but if they didn't they didn't care well you know what i think thinking about this and listening to what both of us have said and, and going back to the, the history that you outlined if they all live together in a house and basically every day they're recording playing and creating it does make sense that this is what that result would sound like so you know every day likely they got the tape rolling you know and they're just sitting down and saying hey how about this and you know maybe they're playing together a little bit in the room but they're also you know capturing ideas on tape and then layering things on top and you know that's I would think if you're going to live together as a band and try to be, you know, creative as you do that, that that would seem to be the way you would do it. And it actually would make some sense that that's how it would manifest itself um, in terms of how this is produced and 
how the songs that come together. I guess I would wonder how they sound live. That's a good question. And uh, I don't know that we'll know the answer to that anytime soon because they're not a band that plays out a lot, yeah. if at all. So so if anybody's heard them live, leave a comment and let us know what your impressions yeah. are. Or if you're in the band and you'd like to tell us how you recorded <laughs> this, we would also appreciate that information because I did do a bunch of searches on this album specifically trying to find an info and there's not a lot of information even like the music blogs don't have a lot of information which kind of was disappointing but it's a 90 it's an album from you know the early 90s so and it got buried by a, a an angry record label so yeah uh that's to be expected so all right i think we have covered the wrens secaucus hopefully we have made justin justin hemminger proud with our review I know he this he mentioned that this is one of his favorite records. He did not tell us to review it, but we we found out prior to the recording of this album that it is in fact one of his favorites. And so. he's probably the the crazy person that likes to listen to, to to the four or five noise songs. Probably, yeah, I would not doubt that. And that's why we love him. Exactly. So we want to thank everyone for listening, and a reminder. You have a very short window of time in which you submit your favorite album that we reviewed this year. Tell us your favorite songs. We're going to do our top five songs and our favorite record that we reviewed this year. Uh, send it to digmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. Send us an email. Send us an MP3 of your opinion. Keep it short, under a minute, please. And uh, we will be happy to put that on our end of the year show that will be uh the final show of the year which will be out on i guess it'll be what's the last tuesday and in, in uh it would be the 27th of december i would believe is that it will be that episode yeah yeah 27th of december so hopefully we haven't started recording that by the time this comes out <laughs> i don't know i i can't predict when this will come out I have a good idea, but I don't know. So also visit the website. You can read the info there for the final show. So anything to add, Jay? Nope. All right. We're out. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation about this episode. Visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Hey.